Hello everyone and welcome to episode 306 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and an awesome supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I am okay, Valerie. Okay. I am I am fair to middling. I am somewhat immersed yeah. in um, edits and things. I have oh, a deadline. Yeah. I and also, you know, there's 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 a movement in the <laughs> Alice State household in the next little while. So there's gonna be some travel, which means that I'm also trying to organise, you know, all of the people and all of the things oh, to yeah. to get to get you know, underway, which is mm. never easy. It just mm. seems to take, I don't know, I just don't really even understand why it's so difficult, but it, it somehow is. So I'm doing it all is. of those things. None I of rely sense, on, but that's what I'm doing. Val's tip of the week. I'm reaching yes. for it now. My, I rely on an app called Trip List. It is not sponsored. <laughs> I Hashtag use not this. sponsored. Yes, I use this all the time, anytime I go anywhere. Um, and it's an app that is basically a checklist of all of the things that I need to think about and bring. And you check them off as you go. And I use it every single time. Whether oh. I go domestic, I have a domestic list and an international list. Wow. Yeah. Could you have just changed my life in one little conversation? See, this is what I love about this podcast. <laughs> and it's, it's free. Actually, it's actually all about me. And every episode <laughs> I pick up at least one thing and this, this time around it may well be the trip list. I yes. don't know about you guys but I'm all over it. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't uh, sponsored in any way. <laughs> so let's um, – I want to give a big shout-out to somebody who kindly left us a review Um uh, Susanna, actually, kindness left us a review about your course. My course? I Which know, course? the Creative Writing Kids Quest. So we're doing something a little bit different Ooh. this week. Yes. And it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and Susanna said, my 10-year-old daughter recently completed Alison Tate's Creative Writing Quest and absolutely loved it. The course was Yay. incredibly well put together with Alison's engaging weekly videoed modules packed with practical advice and writing tools. My daughter enjoyed the journey and learned a great deal about the craft of writing, which she was able to apply to each weekly task. She then had the satisfaction of completing a story and receiving Alison's personal feedback, which was detailed, constructive and encouraging. I thoroughly recommend this course as it inspires kids to write in a relaxed and supportive environment outside the school world and with a fabulous author who really knows her stuff and is able to communicate it so well to kids. Oh, thank you, so Susanna. Nice. Thank you so much. Mm. Honestly, I really um it's it's been such an interesting process doing the doing that course and doing the 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 um feedback and stuff for it. And I take it like the kind of stuff again, you know, it's all about me. So it's <laughs> about what I learn from this stuff as well. But I'm learning a lot about where kids are at and and you know what they know and what they don't know and I can kind of see um a lot, just a lot of information that informs when I do go out to talk to classes and things like that, the kinds of things that I need to to always be bearing in mind. Um, gets me, it helps me to get to understand, you know, my audience, I guess, like that. Um, but the other thing I found quite interesting was recently I did some I, I did some year twelve um, craft of writing mm. presentations, which which has been interesting because of course you know totally outside my comfort zone. Not I'm not used to 
17-year-olds on any level um, as far as an audience goes. And um, I think a few years ago I would have been very intimidated by the whole thing. I think I would have been really, you know, intimidated by... 17-year-olds? well, yeah, by groups of them. Like it's a big, big groups, like, you know, up to up to 100 right. 17-year-olds and, and just yeah. sitting there as, you know, someone's mum, yeah. kind of, you know, not wanting to make a complete idiot of yourself on any level. Um, I don't think you ever lose that, mm. not really. I think you are deep in your heart 16 forever oh. when it comes to that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but anyway, I did find it quite interesting because um, what one thing I have learned along the line of talking to various age groups is that basically the conversations and, and the, the stuff that I'm teaching in that uh, online course for, you know, nine to 14-year-olds is exactly the same kind of stuff that I'm teaching to adults or to Mm -hmm. 17-year-olds or to whatever age group. I'm just using different examples and obviously you know, adding more icing when I go to talk to larger groups. I had this hilarious conversation with one kid about cakes and icing. So I was like, you've got to get the cake right. You need the structure. You need the craft. And then you slather on as much icing as you want, you know, with your beautiful lyrical metaphors and your whatever. Um, but I said, if you've got too much icing, uh, your cake will collapse. You know, it's yes. that sort of idea. So we did this whole ca- – I had this full birthday cake thing going for, for quite a while. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, it, it is it does come back to the cake. And if you don't know how, you know, if you leave the eggs out or you forget, you don't put enough flour in or whatever, then your story is not going to hold up. And so this was, a, this, I was able to take all that to my year 12 groups. And um, rather than pointing and laughing at me, like I thought they might, they actually, it was like, you could almost see the light bulbs going off. Like it was mm. fascinating. And several of them came up to me afterwards. I got great feedback and just said to me, you know, they tell us what all of these things are, you know, first person point of view and blah, 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 and why you choose that and how it works and what it does to a story. They tell us what it is, but they don't show us how to use it. They don't show us how to actually, how you put it in a story. And they're like, we learned more in an hour and a half of a conversation with you about how to put that stuff together than we had done because they don't focus on it a huge amount or haven't done till now. Um, you know, at school with creative writing. It's not, it hasn't been a massive focus, but now, of course, they've changed the curriculum in Australia. Mm. So for the HSC in New South Wales. Um, And so now it's this suddenly they've got to be able to do this. And not only do they have to be able to write a story um, or creative piece, they have to explain, they have to reflect. There's a, so 10 of 10 marks go to writing the piece, 10 marks go to a reflection on why. Mm. Why did you write the story this way and how does it relate to the texts that you are, you know, drawing on? So it's quite a complicated thing that they're doing. So you really got to have an understanding of not only what you're doing, but why, why are you doing it? So anyway, I've just raved on, but that was kind of, that was my recent experience. I thought you guys might find interesting. Great. And of course, the moral of that story, apart from, you know, the obvious one, is that if you have a kid from nine to 14 who is interested in creative writing, there's clearly no more better and more passionate teacher than, than Alison. <laughs> so for those who are new Look to this podcast, on. <laughs> yeah, for those who are new to the podcast, can you just explain what the Creative Writing Kids Quest is as in your course at the Australian uh, Writer Centre? So it's a course that takes kids through the basics of story writing, um, all of the different ingredients. Uh, it's weekly modules that explain different elements. And we'd go, you know, we go all, all the way through from where you get an idea from to how to edit your story. Um, and children, uh, kids are encouraged. They write a, a piece as they go through um, and then they edit it and it is uploaded uh, to me 
and I read the story at that point and I provide video, personalised video feedback to, to the student, um, which they can access but no one else can access. Um, so they access the video feedback and I will talk them through, you know, the things that they've done really well, some areas where they might be able to work on uh, other things and um, just give them feedback on how their writing's going. And, of course, my... My main uh, focus with it is is not just to kind of get kids writing, but to encourage them to practice, to encourage yes. them to see that it's fun, and to encourage them to see that it's not just about you know writing the one story that you have to produce in year twelve, year eight to see. It's about the, the it's like a muscle, you know. The more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. So it's it's kind of that aspect that I think is possibly the most important. So they practice with their weekly modules. They're already doing um, you know a weekly thing, and of course for the very keen beans, because some of them are very very keen um there's also other you know additional exercises that they can undertake as well absolutely fantastic all right let's move on then to the world of writing and publishing this week there is a um, australia council scholarship well it's not an australia council scholarship it is on the australia council website but it's called the martin M-A-R-T-E-N, Bequest Scholarships. Scholarships, yes. Yes. And it's up to $50,000, which is pretty good. That's exactly right. So the scholarships um, are open to young artists um, and it offers, they offer them the chance to explore, study and develop their artistic gifts through travelling either overseas and or interstate, which, you know, sounds ideal to me really. Um, unfortunately, I am outside the age limit only by like not very much really um, <laughs> for those who can apply. So you have to be uh, 21 to 35 to apply. And they're for artists who um, there's different categories. There's acting, architecture, ballet, instrumental music, painting, mm. poetry, prose, I'm just going to emphasise those, poetry, prose, sculpture and singing. So there's different uh, categories that people can uh, can apply for, but obviously we're sharing because, you know, poetry, prose. Mm. Um, and so if you're an Australian citizen, you are aged between 21 and 35 or 17 and 35 if you do ballet, um, then you can apply for a scholarship and you have until January 2020, 30th yes. of January 2020 to apply. So we just want to flag that yes. because, like, really, if you're in the age group, why would you not? Yeah, get on it. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be Absolutely. in it to win it. And That's the scholarships right. are each worth $50,000 payable in quarterly instalments over two years. So that's pretty good. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, we did a couple of polls recently and the results were quite interesting because firstly, I want to ask you, Al, when you're writing, what is your beverage of choice, coffee or tea? My beverage of choice is water. I'm sorry. I'm no fun. Oh, really? I I, I didn't get involved in this poll for this reason, Valerie, um, because I don't I don't write with a hot drink. I have my coffee in the morning before I start, and mm -hmm. because I'm a coffee drinker, I'm not a tea drinker ever generally, um, unless I have a random green tea. Um, but no, my my beverage of choice is water when I write. Oh. It's not even wine. It's not even gin. <laughs> it's none of those things. What about you? What's yours? It is tea. Oh, yeah. Not coffee. No, it used to be coffee and then literally one day I went off coffee, like in one day. Mm -hmm. um, I, one day. Yeah, I was at a cafe in Kew in You can Melbourne. remember the moment that this yeah. happened. 
Yeah. Okay. In Kew, in Melbourne, I was at a cafe and um, I had a coffee and I drank coffee, coffee that whole time. I mean, up until that point. And I drank that coffee and I just knew immediately it was not normal. And I had to drive an hour and a half home and I threw up the whole way. Oh, and so was the milk off or something? I don't actually know, um, but I haven't had coffee since. Well, I have had a couple of coffees just here and there, but any time I have, it's um, confirmed that I don't want to drink coffee anymore. Oh, man. Anyway, I'm sure you didn't require that big, long story, but I am a tea drinker these days, and even in the afternoon, I'll drink decaf tea. So, but anyway, we did this poll. Is it right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the point of the story. Yes. We did this poll um, to ask, uh, you know, whether our community were coffee or tea drinkers. And what do you think the result was? Well, clearly not water. So I would say coffee. I think coffee. See, that's what I would have guessed too. But, but no, no, you're going to tell me no, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I just knew that was coming. 57% of people said tea. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty close though, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Close-ish. And 43% said coffee. So I would have assumed that coffee would have won as well, but um, mm. that was not the case. So it seems Well, I did a poll teachers. too. Do you want to hear about oh, yes. my poll? Tell me I did a poll too. Poll. So on the Australian Writers' Centre Facebook page, we ran a poll mm. um, and the Two questions were, are you a late night writer or would you rather get up early to get your words done? And, of course, you know, I've got a vested interest in this. And, and of course, I posted it late at 10.26 p.m. on a Sunday or something <laughs> random like that. So it was, you know, like I was really out there for my people. Um, so the results of that one were, well, apart from the number of people in the comments who told me that I hadn't allowed enough categories like mm. where was the afternoon, you know, where was, you know, the other options. I'd just like to say Facebook only allows for two poll options, mm. okay? So let me just clear that up straight away. Anyway, so the results of that particular poll were, what do you think? Who do you think was the winner? I would have said, because I'm a late night writer, so I would yes. have said late night. Yeah, me too. Well, in actual fact, we were both correct because 60% would rather write at night mm. uh, and 40% said early birds write words. So <laughs> do you like that? I was pretty happy with well that. Well done. Early birds write words. I feel like that could go on to the merch myself, oh, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah. Non-existent merch. Words. Yeah. <laughs> We've got quite the collection of non-existent merch these days. <laughs> oh, gee, we, one day we'll when, have merch. When we get there, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, awesome. So awesome. Anyway, so 60% would rather write at night. So I'd be interested in, in whether or not our Facebook community members mm. uh, in, the, in the So You Want to Be a Writer group agree with that. Um, if you have strong feelings either way, mm. please feel free to let us know. Or even the... fair to middling feelings. Just let us know anyway. Well, I think with a two-option a two poll, you can't be fair to middling. You've got to choose one or the other, don't you? Like, you know. Yeah, okay, sure. Don't you think? Yes, yes. Mm. Anyway. All right, let us move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of The Huntress by Kate Quinn, and you could win one of them. From the author of the New York Times and USA Today bestselling novel, The Alice Network, comes another fascinating historical novel about a battle-haunted English journalist and a Russian female bomber pilot who join forces to track 
The Huntress, a Nazi war criminal gone to ground in America. In this immersive, heart-wrenching story, Kate Quinn illuminates the consequences of war on individual lives and the price we pay to seek justice and truth. So if you would like to win one of the three copies we have available, then go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 18th of November. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. And even if you are uh, listening to this podcast in the future, and um, don't worry, go to that URL anyway, and there'll be some other awesome competition for you to enter. All right. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I am ready. Yes. Okay. So I promise this is the last time I'm going to mention my favourite show, Succession, because I'm obsessed. <laughs> Again? Again, hashtag not Didn't we do this last week? I hashtag. know. But you learn so many words from this show. It's it's so good on so many levels, right? Okay. Although I didn't learn this word. I just liked the way in which it was used. Um, vicissitudes. Yes. I know this word. Yes. I thought you would. Um, in case anyone doesn't. Okay. So the... It's according to the Macquarie Dictionary, vicissitudes means a change or variation or something different occurring in the course of something or regular change or succession of one state or thing to another. Mm-hmm. So in the context of the show that I love, which is kind of set in the corporate world, you might say the staff regularly weathered the vicissitudes of corporate life as each new CEO tried to make their mark on the organisation. Hmm. There you go. So how did they use it in the actual show to make you think, I really liked the way that word was used? Um, I can't remember, but it was in, it was was very similar to the sentence that I just said. Okay. Talking about the vicissitudes of, you know, business kind of thing. Right. There you go. Vicissitudes. All right. Who is our writer in residence this week, Al? Our writer in residence this week is the very lovely Curly Saunders. Um, And we had a very interesting chat, lovely chat actually, about uh, picture books and poetry. And I managed to get in the question that that I always feel like I have to ask every single poet that I've ever met in my life, which is how do you know it's any good? So anyway, uh, here's Curly Saunders. Curly Saunders is a proud Gunai woman with ties to the Yuan, Gundungurra, Gadigal and Birupai people. Curly is an award-winning international children's author, poet, emerging playwright and artist. She manages poetry in first languages and poetic learning at Red Broom Poetry. Her picture books include The Incredible Freedom Machines, illustrated by Matt Otley and recently shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Literary Awards, and the forthcoming Our Dreaming, Happily Ever After, Afloat and Mother Speaks. Curly was the inaugural winner of the WA 2019 Premier's Literary Awards and recently released her debut collection of poetry called Kindred because she's just not busy enough, obviously. So welcome to the program, <laughs> Curly. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a, what a pleasure it is to join you today. All right, so let's go back to the beginning, you know, and um, talk about, you know, how did your first, you know, what was the first book you published and how did it come to be published? 
Yeah, so I guess back to the beginning for me um, would be at about 19. Um, I was studying my Bachelor of Primary Education in Honours at Wollongong University and I adored writing. And so, um, and especially picture books, I found a lot of love for uh, sitting in the Curriculum Resources Centre and, and flicking through the books and finding the right ones for my classrooms that I'd be teaching in. Um, and so I sat down each day, I, I made a target to sit down every day and write for an hour. Um, and most of those things were just random or um, poetic fragments or directions that my mind was moving in at a time. Um, and on this one day, I, I was about 22 when I was diagnosed with um, severe anxiety and depression and um, writing was my way of healing through those things. And at the same time, I just bought a motorbike. So riding was also my way of healing. Um, and I was riding my red Ducati motorcycle, um, a 659 a Monster, up and down the south coast of New South Wales. And I stopped one day in a really cute little cafe in Kiraville and I just penned a poem of gratitude for this beautiful machine, my freedom machine, um, and the joy that it had afforded me on that day and, and most afternoons during this tricky phase of life. Um, and from there, I, I reread it and thought, oof, this could be a picture book. Um, and I began to go through the process of editing and refining and stretching the, the poem out into um, a manuscript. And from there, um, you know, going through that drafting process of reading it to friends and getting feedback and um, rereading, editing it. And once I had something I was quite confident with, um, not knowing the process for how to be published traditionally, which, you know, now I know is <laughs> you go to an agent and an agent will pitch it to publishers um, and all of those kinds of things. Instead, I just reached out to one of the world's best illustrators who I really admired um, via email. And I said, you know, dear Matt Otley, <laughs> as you do, dear Matt Otley, person I don't know, um, please be my illustrator, you know, so you've had my manuscript. And um, yeah, it took a little, like a fair while for him to reply and I was a bit worried thinking, oh gosh, what have I done? Now there's, you know, of course he's not going to reply. He's such a big deal and he won't even know who I am and, uh, you know, I've just sent him this random work, like how silly. Um, and eventually he did, which lifted my spirits and he said that he, he really loved it and um, we took it to Scholastic and it's since been published in um, Canada, in French, um, in Russian, um, Western Armenian and Turkish. So if you have a big dream, I very much encourage bold acts of bravery and uh, lots of time spent sitting and writing over something, um, especially if, if you're healing or if, if you find a lot of joy in that. That's yeah. extraordinary. What a great story. Like, oh, <laughs> Mr. Otley, how do you feel about illustrating my book? Now, I guess my question is, like, um, you know, you said you were writing a lot of poetry fragments and, and you know, mm. you wrote this initially as a, as, a, as a poem. How did you know that it was a children's book and not not a poem that you would then put in a suite of poems later? Yeah, well, I think um, to me, all of the all of the picture books that I really love, in some ways, are poems or poem fragments, um, and they're written sort of in that lyrical way. And so, uh, when I when I looked at this one and the fact that it was really telling a story. Um, that kind of saying to me is, oh, wow, this could be interpreted as a picture book. Um, and it was a little more um, esoteric, I guess, in that it could have been the Freedom Machines could have looked like anything in particular and not just a motorbike. And I thought something less direct like that could really lend itself to the classroom um, and to children exploring what freedom is for them and for us to be able to see there's this um, underlying metaphor that Matt's work is the illustrations of books being our freedom machines. Mm. Um, and I think it's a really necessary 
conversation to be having in the classroom. Did you know that you know books are our freedom machines, and when we're, when we're in a, uh, a library, we're in a freedom machine garage, and how lucky are we to be able to access these beautiful you know collections of people's ideas and thoughts and facts, and for us to go deep down into the ocean or up into the sky and still be sitting in one place. It's yeah, it's really special. Had you had you always been a writer? Were you someone who was like you said you were nineteen and you loved writing? But were you were you someone who you know wrote all through school? And I mean, you know, was it something Definitely that you ever thought you would be? Not. No. Okay. <laughs> no way. No. no. Um, and the reason being was uh, my grandfather's a really profound artist. He's a really beautiful landscape artist. He passed away a few years ago. Um, and my aunt is a poet. My um, uncles are all musicians or sculptors. Um, and so I've always been surrounded by very creative people. And I always thought I might turn into being turn out to be an artist rather than a, an author. Um, but I just couldn't get my, my skills together <laughs> to be an artist. Um, and then I started writing in the meantime, and I found a lot of joy in it. Um, but there was a particular point, probably in year 11 at high school, when I had one English teacher who um, passed me some poetry across the table and started to see that I had an interest in it and kind of pointed me in new directions and really fostered that love for language. So um, I think that was a moment where things started to change for me. And now I'm moving more into dabbling back in art and, you know, exploring, well, if you can be a writer by being very bold and practicing, well, maybe you can be the same in being an artist. Um, so, yeah, that's been a really nice process as well. So, mm. she, your, so your teacher obviously saw something in, like, for someone just to be slide in your poetry, like that's a, a feeling, mm. you know, interesting thing to do they obviously saw something in you that was going to respond to that you think yeah yeah um I mean shout out to Hayley Chisholm wherever you're listening from she's still a really wonderful English teacher um and yeah I think she at the time we were studying um probably poets that now I look at and be think well yeah I can see why they're on the curriculum but there's definitely um some more diverse poems that we could be including in our um, literary realm. Uh, so people like, um, oh, who was it? They were, they were wolf horns at the time. Mm. And, yeah, yeah, and I remember looking at them and, and um, you know, my, in my family we've got a pretty strong military history with my grandfather being in the army and um, great uncles and things like that. So that was probably the interest that I had drawn to them. But it was just the way that language um, was articulated with, you know, really beautiful assonance and alliteration or imagery and all of those different poetic techniques embedded, which made language to me seem more like art and less like prose. And I think that's what drew me into it. And do you see similarities between that use of language in poetry and, and in, and in picture books? I definitely do. Um, oh, the poet's a bullfrog, and of course it is. Um, of course it is. I, I definitely do in that, um, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm trained as an early childhood, you know, K-2 sort of teacher. Um, and so working with those children, when we're learning about language, we're really focusing on those phonemic awareness skills, so attending to the sounds in language and learning um, the way that language is broken down so that we can make, you know, words and meaning from it. Um, and so all of those finer details make children attentive to the stories that are in a book as well. Um, and they kind of go hand in hand in developing an understanding of literacy and then um, or literature and language. And then at the same time, that, that joy of reading when, you know, the story is diversified with all of these beautiful techniques. So I, I do think they go hand in hand. So how many words are there in The Incredible Freedom Machines? 
in the in the test? You know, I have I have no idea in that I've never counted them. But as far as picture books go, it's very fast. Um, and yeah, there's there's very there's um, I mean on each page there might be ten to twelve words. Um, yeah, which I'm I'm sure there's expected to be many many more. But there's, again poetry to me my love of poetry comes from um telling a story with the most impact and the least words something being very concise and so um yeah when that translates into picture books it leads for a very lean story um <laughs> which well, yeah, packs a lot of punch but it's beautiful and i just wonder how many like how long it took you to get those words right like to yeah, know that you it, had it exactly the right ones <laughs> And, you know, as a writer, I don't know if you ever really know, um, but that process of, of so I, the, the poem itself was quite short. When I stretched it out into a manuscript, I added some extra words and then I paired it back again. So there's this kind of almost like breathing, an inhale um, and expanding, and then an exhale, that contracting, that shrinking again. And um, somewhere in there, there's a, hopefully a bit of nourishment um, <laughs> provided in the story. Yeah. And what about your new um, picture books? Like, where where are you finding the inspiration for the for the new works that you have coming up? Yeah, so all of my um, picture books are written based on life experiences. So, our dreaming was written on the banks of the Shoalhaven River when I was uh, writer in residence at Bundanon Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and for any South Coast writers, I definitely recommend you check out that residency because it's delightful to wake up with wombats and kangaroos and gum trees. Um, and at the time, uh, so it, uh, not long after the Freedom Machines had been written, um, I was sitting with an elder and asking him, you know, what do I, what do we do? In, what do I do in life? I love writing, but I love teaching. And he, he told me about the dreaming, um, which is our way of being and knowing um, culturally for First Nations people and it's different for different communities and this one's based, our dreaming is based on the Ewan and Gunagara dreamings that were told to me. Um, so those creation stories and our responsibility to ourselves in the earth and to community and where those parts intersect so that we can live a life of, of meaning um, that contributes to, to those different facets. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited for our dreaming to come out because um, I don't know that there's a really thorough understanding of the dreaming beyond dreaming stories in the mm. classroom. Mm. Um, and the previous lends itself to those conversations. This one's being released um, by Scholastic and uh, Dub Leffler is the illustrator and I am so excited um, <laughs> to see all those pieces come together. I just, I really admire Dub. Um, and when, when I was in conversation with Scholastic about this book, he was my initial thought um, for an illustrator. I thought, please you know definitely give me this wonderful man and um this was before sorry day had come out and i just i love that book and i love its impact um and if you haven't seen dub's work definitely go check him out um happy yeah happy ever after um is again to be published um by scholastic we're in conversations with an illustrator at the moment um this one talks this one's a a really heavy um, picture book it talks about my mum's removal from country as a kid so um, she was about six or seven when she was taken away from her community with her siblings and cousin um, collected by government officials placed in a black car onto a bus onto a train um, the, when they arrived in Sydney the boys were sent to a different boys home Kinchilla boys home and then her younger sister was fostered and she was sent off to Renwick children's home um, and it's that yeah that haunting story of being removed from country and community and being told not to cry or miss um, those people who you've been taken from or the life that 
you're wrong for. Um, and when I when I shared this with the publishers, they had all said to me, "Oh, this is um, this is a really haunting story. Can you make it softer?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, no. We need we need these stories. Our nation needs to hear these stories of you know, um, yeah, our, our First Nations community people who have been raised during the times of the stolen generations, or um, yeah. So I think that's it's another story." Um, that is born out of experience, lots of long conversations with mum, lots of tears. The, the original manuscript for this one is, is covered in tears. Um, I can imagine yeah. it would be, and I wonder how do mm. you, because, you know, that is obviously, as you say, it's a, it's a very heavy story. It's a big story. So mm. how do you bring that down to a picture book as opposed to, you know, writing maybe an older story about it, like for older kids? Yeah. So, so this one, uh, for me, uh, I, I think there's this notion of picture book as being for, for very young children. Mm. Um, and I remember using picture books in my HSC text as accompanying text. Um, so picture books to me transcend, or an excellent picture book transcends an age. It, it should be able to be taught to tiny little tackers but have enough depth and complexity that you can be analysed visually or, um, you know, for its different literary devices for a much older audience. Um, and so I think this is one of those stories that will be hopefully accessible to multiple ages, but I am aiming for sort of mid to upper primary for this, okay. for the age group of these students and, and even into secondary years. Um, so this one, again, is a poem that's been stretched out. Um, and, yeah, it's... Oh, I'm, I'm excited to share. I, of all of the books that I've released, I think this one is the one that's closest to home and, mm. and the most um, necessary story to come out of my writing um, for our for our communities and for healing and for awareness more broadly, yeah. Wow, that's so. Um, it's a it's a yeah, movie. it is. Um, the next one is a lot lighter. Uh, a float, <laughs> um, which will be published with Hardy Grant, um, and I'm so excited about the illustrator for this one, but I can't tell you about it yet. And you'll just fall in love. Um, <laughs> He's brilliant. Um, it follows the story of an elder um, teaching the foraging and weaving practices to a child with that notion of, you know, we're going to collect all of these items to make the, um, to weave the yarn, um, to weave together our boats so that our canoes would survive an incoming storm. Um, and the text is all about unity and oneness and those reconciliation and strength themes. And um, it's not tied to one particular First Nations community because lots of First Nations cultures um, rely on those weaving practices and their, their customs around the ways that they're taught. So at the moment we're in the process of having that liaison with lots of First Nations communities and saying, hey, how do you weave? You know what needs to be what do we need to be mindful of when we're sharing this text, and um, yeah, how can we celebrate those ancient practices and bring other people into those ideas of you know the oneness? Because to me, that that fusing of fibres into one string and the strength of it um, is indicative of all of the ways that we could be fusing together more broadly in our communities. Um, you know, every element of those fibres every individual piece comes together to make something much stronger um, that could withstand all storms. And I think that is a really powerful metaphor for our broader um, yeah, education communities, especially when when this book will be released in classrooms. Sounds amazing. Do, um, do you feel a certain sense yeah. of responsibility in sharing, like in putting these stories together? As you said, you're sort of like oh, consulting. I... There's an inclusion of making sure that, um, you know, that, that there's a representation there of, of different First Nations 
um, you know, members of different uh, different members of different First Nations. And I'm just wondering, do you feel um, a responsibility as an author of presenting that to the world? I definitely do. Um, I think in all of my work, I've always felt some kind of responsibility to community. And whether that comes from the dreaming with that idea of we share our gift with community um, and our gift strengthens our community, or whether it comes from just being a, a global or social citizen, I think it's really important that we're writing about things that um, have an impact and raise awareness. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the aware, like texts when I was a kid that explored First Nations cultures weren't always about our strength or um, our prowess or, um, you know, all of those beautiful elements of First Nations cultures. They were usually quite often the opposite and so that celebration to me is a really exciting thing to be embedding in the classroom I really love that in the freedom machines the character is an unnamed girl who has tan skin because when I was a kid I didn't see tan girls in books Um, and to see this this girl being a symbol of one third of the world's children who exist in poverty um, and her ability to get out of poverty with reading a book Mm. um, which is an underlying message is a really special thing because I'm not sure all of those kids who exist in poverty, one third of our world's children, get to see themselves in books. No, that's And, right. um, yeah, it, it is. Um, I think we do have a responsibility as a writer to um, to share or make, make these things more commonly uh, available in the classroom and make that awareness um, something that we're, we're talking about within our classrooms, yeah. So what about um, your... So... Oh, I was just going to tell you about Mother Speak. Oh, of course, sorry, you've got a, another... Is that one. okay? I forgot you had such a <laughs> huge, <laughs> huge <laughs> forthcoming work. It's frustrating when they're, you know, they're all in the works and people are like, oh, when's your next book out? You're like, well, you know, publishing takes a little while, so there's lots coming. <laughs> we just wait. Um, but Mother Speaks is what I'm actually working on at the moment. So this one was originally a manuscript. Um, it was written on the banks of the, the Shoalhaven again. I was a writer in residence at Bundaman uh, this year. And it's a picture book. Well, it was originally written as a picture book that... Um, was born out of a conversation with Dr. Anthony McKnight, who's a really powerful UN educator who works out of the University him. of Wollongong. I know He's him. brill. He's, He's a great oh, friend of mine. Really, really special man. He is. Mm. And, and he was talking to me about the language of the earth because I, I run a language program um, at Red Room Poetry. And he was saying that if we want to teach kids tongues, as in the words, um, for Aboriginal languages, then we must first attend to the language of the earth and the way that Mother Earth speaks to us in all of her different ways. Um, and so this picture, this picture manuscript talks about the way that the earth speaks to us. And, um, yeah, it since has been stretched out into uh, a verse novel. And so at the moment I'm working on verse novel ends, which um, I've never dabbled in before. <laughs> uh, and it's a really fun unfolding process. And I'm being guided by my editor, Grace Lucas Pennington. Um, and if you don't know her work, you should check her out. She's an editor for the Black and White Project. Um, and, yeah, it'll be released with Magabala again in the future. Incredible. <laughs> oh, well, it just sounds like this. Yeah. Oh, they all sound amazing, and I can't wait to see all of them. They sound incredible. So I hope that they sort of, you know, trickle through quickly for us so that we can, um, can all have a look you. at them. Um, so just on the, you know, on, on your sort of role as an educator and different things that you do there, your, what about your work with Red Room Poetry? Um, you know, how long have you been doing that and what exactly does that involve? 
Yeah, so uh, Red Room is a non-for-profit that aims to make poetry a meaningful part of everyday life. Um, and we put poets in the classroom to engage students with poets to create and publish poetry in unusual ways. So um, sometimes that, and all of our projects have a social impact, which is really cool. So we might be working in a correctional um, services or um, a youth sort of juvenile justice space, helping children who experience um, yeah, educational disadvantage to access their voice and share their story through poetry. Um, and we published their poems maybe in murals or on buses or trains or um, in local shopfront windows and upload their audio online so that you can hear all these wonderful stories bubbling out of these educational spaces which aren't always accessible to the broader community. Um, we also have kids write poems about plants, the new shoots, which is uh, listening to the, to the secrets of trees, my favourite um, workshops. Um, have been new shoots, yeah. Um, and then Extinction Allergies is all about um, talking about our threatened and endangered and extinct species um, to raise awareness of that this is a reality. These impacts of climate um, are really damaging and really concerning and we have a responsibility to make a change for these wonderful creatures um, in our lives. And um, Poetry in First Languages is... Um, well, it was, again, born on the banks of the Shoalhaven, um, and I could hear the sounds of ancestors singing. This was all kind of, yeah, they were all tied together, those experiences, our dreaming and, um, yeah, and this, this project. And I could hear the sounds of ancestors singing, which I don't know if you've ever had that, but it's really terrifying. <laughs> um, you can hear voices and you I think you're going crazy. <laughs> I called my auntie, auntie, I can hear these voices. And she said, oh, great, good. I was like, good? What, what do you mean, good? She said, well, what are they saying? I said, oh, I don't know. She said, well, that's what they're saying. It's time for you to go and learn language. Um, and so I started my journey in Gunungar. I learned from my auntie, Val Mulcahy, who is a um, language teacher of Gunungar up at the Amanda Centre up in um, the Southern Highlands where I was born. And from there I thought, how else can I support other poets to learn language? And so I developed a commissioning arm of poetry in first languages, which is where First Nations poets sit with elders and custodians on country and write poems in language, and we publish them online through Red Room. Um, and then there's another arm where we take those poets and elders into the classroom, and, well, usually we take the classroom out on country um, and have kids learn about the local culture and, and community and country and language, and then they write poems about those experiences. And we often try and weave in bush medicine, bush tussle, dance, art, workshops at the same time, so they're getting a more holistic experience of what those things look like when they're interwoven traditionally and contemporarily. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, there's another element to it where we take those poems and publish them on. Uh, the best ones have been busters. They've been my favourites, um, where kids get to see their poems drive around for six weeks on the back of a bus sharing language. Um, and they're just blown away, you know, these tiny little eight- and nine-year-old kids or year-twelve kids standing next to a great big bus with their poems splashed across it. And beautiful work by David Craig, if you haven't seen him, check him out. Gorgeous. Um, yeah, or Tad Sudan, the really powerful photographer from around here. Also, check his work out. Those specials. Yeah. Fantastic. So let me just mm. ask you, when you teach poetry to a group of children, do you, is there an initial reticence from them? Like, is there sort of like, do you get resistance in the sense of, oh, poetry, seriously? This is what I'm <laughs> Definitely, until I say, until I tell them that, you know, hands up if you love music and every child puts their hand on like, great, you love poetry because music is just, you know, poetry with a tune or a melody or a harmony or, you know, a beat added. Um, and then, you know, hands up if you watch, um, if you if you pay attention to social media or if you're interested in uh, any kind of marketing and they look at me kind of puzzled, I'm like, because every catchphrase you hear 
that's a poem. Um, and once you attend children into the, that awareness that poems are around them all the time, they're just not always tuning into them. I think then they see poetry as something a little close to home and, and not this thing written by dead white guys. And I often talk to them as, as poetry being that because when I was in school, that's what it was and poetry had nothing to do with me and I felt very separate from it until I had, you know, a broader understanding of those diverse voices in poetry and the power that poetry gives to um, all sorts of communities, especially minority communities, in, in voicing things that are important. So yeah. do you, is, it's, it's about that sort of like making them understand the accessibility of it is, is the key to kind of breaking down the resistance? For sure. I think accessibility and then impact, you know, that poems are so often written about um, something that needs to be spoken about. Mm. And if you learn to write a poem, you know, what would you want to talk about? What's important to you at this point? What, what boils your blood or what are you loving? Or um, Yeah, and then the opportunity for them to be able to be freed of what they think poetry is, you know, that very stiff, um, maybe iambic pentameter or, or those different structural rules which, they, which freak them out. Um, when you take poetry away from those structures and say, well, let's write something more free verse, um, it gets a lot easier for them. And, you know, when similes and metaphors and all those poetic devices become something really fun, um, you know, so I'll tell them, let's write a simile and let's make it the craziest simile you can imagine. Um, let's make it really outrageous. Then they start to have a lot of fun with it. And then, you know, there's lots of laughs and, and poetry becomes something enjoyable. Yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? Because I, I actually think social media has been one of the best things that ever happened to poetry. I've never seen oh, so much sure. poetry in my life as I've seen yeah. since, you know, Instagram and, and, and that yep. kind of stuff. I feel like it, it brought poetry out of its kind of, you know, skinny volume on the bookshelf, you know, vibe. For and, sure. And, really and it, it in made, front of people. That's how, that's how I started writing poetry was just publishing to my Instagram. And, um, and for me, it was being brave enough to put my work out there. Mm. Um, and that's the other thing when you're on, so when you're publishing your work on social media in some way, you can hide behind it. Mm. Um, you know, you don't have to be out there reading your poems in front of an audience straight away. Other people, people can still be accessing your work. Um, and it's a great way yeah, for promotion and marketing of works and, and all of those kinds of things, getting people onto events. So yeah, I'm very grateful for, you know, the love-hate relationship that is social media. <laughs> so true, isn't it? All right, so tell us, yeah. about, tell us about your debut collection of poetry. Um, how did you go oh. – anyway, how do you go about putting together a suite of poems? Because that's essentially what you've done there. Yeah. So this is uh, – Kindred was written over so it's six years of life, um, all, all sorts of experiences jammed into one collection. Um, it's broken across three different segments, so Mother, Earth, Child and Lover. Mother is all about connection to um, culture and reconnecting to culture and, and finding um, healing and, and peace with those intergenerational traumas that have been handed down in my family because of all the things that have happened in our nation's history. Um, and then Earth Child is about healing through the earth. I spent a lot of time during that period, particularly like, you know, 1920, 21, 22, and, and into my later 20s sitting um, spending time outside with the earth, a lot of time in the ocean, a lot of time in the mountains, trying to find the answers and just tune into um, the broader spirits that were operating in those spaces and, and re-grounding re with the earth. Um, and then Lover is all about my connection with community, um, all those really wonderful people in my life who have helped me on this journey of, um, of healing and growing and reshaping my own cultural identity. Um, so, yeah, Kindred um, is all about making connections with other kindred spirits and um, being at one with the earth and being at one with culture. 
All right, so here's a question for you because, and I ask this as a person who has written a lot of bad poetry in my time, <laughs> how do you know which poems are good? How do you know? Oh, it's really hard, isn't it? So um, I think, <laughs> oh, there's, uh, how many poems are there in this collection? Close to the, yeah, really not 80, 90 poems, I'd say. Um, and it's paired back from maybe 120-ish. Um, bad poems, which still live somewhere, you know. Um, and I guess the process is I, I've got some really wonderful friends who helped me edit the collection when I originally submitted it to Black and Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, so this collection was highly commended for Black and Wright, and then I took it from there to Magabala, yeah. um, who very graciously, lovely, said that they would um, love to publish it. And so then I worked with that editor, Grace Lucas Pennington, to begin to massage it and go through the process of editing. She's wonderful at also guiding the what's good and what's not, um, a process for cutting. <laughs> um, so I'd say getting feedback from friends or people who you trust or people in the writing world who um, have an awareness of, yeah, what sounds good and what doesn't. Reading it to people who don't like poetry is also really helpful because um, if, if you can strike a chord with them and they like one of your poems, well, then it's a good one, you know, Um, because I think we can't just be writing, well, I I felt like I I can't just be writing just for the people who love poems. I want to write the people who don't love poetry too. I want to engage those kids in the classroom who don't enjoy poetry in in poetry and make them feel like they're seen and heard and a valued part of of this literary world too. Um, And another thing that I do in the writing of poetry to make sure that I'm not writing the stuff that needs to be cut <laughs> is uh, so instead of writing the poem straight away, I'll write this, I'll write what I call my surface. So um, on any given day, I like to sit down and check in with myself and just go, "Hey, how are you going? You know, what are you thinking? You're feeling curls?" Um, and I'll jot all those things down on the page. And when I do that, I know then that when I get to the writing, all of that surface stuff or even the subconscious stuff that I'm not really fully aware of has in some way been acknowledged, and then it's not going to influence the story that I'm um, trying to. And sometimes it gives me fuel for the fire because I'm like, oh, that's a theme that other people might find unity with. Let's write on that for today. That can be my poem. Um, yeah. And other times it's, oh, God, <laughs> don't, don't put that in the poem. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I have to say I found all this um, very fascinating. Um, we're going to finish today. Well, where, where can we find more about you online? What's your website? Yeah, so um, I'm curly dot, uh, curlysaunders.wordpress.com. So you can find me um, if you Google curly, K-I-R-L-I. Um, it's a normal word for a little black and white bird that lives on the water, curly. Um, yeah, you can find me online. And otherwise, Bedroom Poetry is a really great place to check out more about the Poetry and First Languages Project. Um, yeah, and hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll see you in the real world. That would <laughs> be right. really lovely. And um, let's finish up today with uh, our top three tips for writers. What are your top three tips for aspiring writers? Mm. Um, when I first started writing, I set a goal for the number of stories or um, poems I wanted to be able to publish within a certain time frame or write within a certain time frame. So I'd say set a goal. I would say set a rejection goal. So um, this one comes from a dear friend of mine, Christy Wan, who is a poet and photographer. And she said when I started working at Red Room, curls, you need to set a rejection goal. And I said, oh, tell me more. She's like, you need to um, set a goal of the number of rejections you want to achieve in a year. And Christy, that sounds hellish. Why would we do that? Because <laughs> so, then we can go out for a wine and celebrate that you've been submitting to things. Um, and so I set my goal for, you know, 10 rejections within 
a year and I had to submit to all of to 10 competitions or 10 writing awards or you know 10 manuscripts to publishers whatever it was um set yourself a rejection goal and I found that really a really good drive for writing because so often our work doesn't get picked up as writers and um it can feel very much like you know there's no worth in your work at times um and that's definitely not the case you just haven't found the right fit for your work or maybe it needs to be massaged or um you know, had some editing processes done. Um, yeah, so rejection's goal. Um, and then I just say write all the time. I love writing on the train. I love writing on my phone. Um, I often have a notebook with me and a pen. I love a 0.4 outline marker. It goes everywhere with me. So I often just write on the back of, yeah, napkins, um, dockets, whatever's in my world at a time. Um, I make poems out of the paint cards in Bunnings. I love to um, find poems out of street names. So be living your poem, as my director um, at Redland would say, Dr. Tannen Bennett, and um, be constantly writing. I think they're the best ways to, to improve as an early writer. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Curly Saunders. We look oh, forward to seeing you. all of those millions of books that you're working on come out into the, <laughs> into the world. And, so do um, I. <laughs> oh, best of luck with it Thank all. you so much. Thank you. It's been a real privilege talking with you. And, um, yeah, good luck to all of your lovely early and emerging writers. And I look forward to seeing you all out in the real world and your works as they start to unfold. Thanks for having me today. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, a popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book, structure and pace, as well as language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options and much more. Complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalised tutor feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. Great interview with Curly Saunders, Al. Yeah, I found it really, really interesting and I couldn't believe that we had a person in common, like in the sense that, you know, when she mentioned Dr Anthony McKnight, I was like, oh my God, and I couldn't stop the reaction. I'm sure you could hear it. It was, oh, I know him. (laughs) Small world. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that she also knew him, so that was a bit fun. But anyway, interesting conversation. Yes. All right, we're almost at the end of this week's episode. Uh, What are you doing in the coming week, Al? What am I doing? Uh, you ask me this every, again. You ask me this every week, and I have no idea. I think I'm. Do you know what I'm probably going to do? Because this is the kind of person that I am. I think I'm going to practice pack a bag for my boys, just so that I can make sure I can fit practice everything in it. Practice pack. I think I need a practice pack because <laughs> I have in my head the kind. I have got this like this, this packing list in my head of what they need to take because we're going. We're going to the Northern Hemisphere. It is going to be cold. Mm. We're not used to cold. We're, in fact, it's quite warm here. Um, and we're certainly not used to the levels of cold that we're going to be going to anyway. Where um, are you so going? Where are the Griswolds going? We're going to going? Europe. The Griswolds are going to Europe. How but we, cool is that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. But it's also like at the moment the boys are so focused on whether they're going to be cold that they're forgetting that they're going to Europe. Okay. So we're having this highly entertaining, you know, conversations about how many layers of clothes will I need, Mum. So I thought I might pack, practice pack and then just that will give me an idea what I can fit in the bag. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, and, you know, like underclothes, like 
expenses. Oh, don't sinkers. start with the underclothes. The builder is obsessed with long johns. I'm just like, really? Oh, obsessed. We have so many pairs of long johns, it's ridiculous. Do you know, I lived in Europe. I lived in, in London for two years mm-hmm. and travelled in Europe and went to Austria and, did you know, in, in the snow in, you know, December, and I did not wear long johns the entire time <laughs> I was there. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm just at a bit of a loss as to why I've got to fill my bag with long johns this time. But anyway, yeah, like, right. whatever, Ooh. whatever. And um, uh, what are you doing? Uh, I am not wearing long johns, but when I went to, I went to work in London when I was 19 and, um, obviously it's way colder there than here. No one ever taught me to wear a scarf. Oh, what? (laughs) I know. No, sorry. Wait. What do you mean taught you to wear a scarf? Well, my mum never taught me to wear a scarf. Did you not just figure it out for yourself? Like everyone else is wearing them? No. Well, no. And and my auntie happened to live in London and she just looked at me as I was freezing to death. And she just, next time she saw me, which was the next day, she just bought me a scarf. And I was like, oh my God, this makes such a huge difference. You're kidding me. Did you have a did you have a a hat? Were you wearing a beanie or anything? No, no. But the scarf made a big difference, and being able to button your coat makes a big difference too. I discovered. What? I know. How I old were you? Were you ten? Nineteen. I really want you to be ten. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? No. My aunt just shook her head. Like I'm shaking was... my head from a from a just from a commonsensical perspective, like. Really? No, because when I was younger, my mum bought me clothes that didn't do up. So I didn't know to do with it. I couldn't do them up. I would just clutch them all the time. <laughs> no, I did. I, I would clutch no, them. you can't. You cannot, honestly. <laughs> you're going in my next novel. How is this possible? Well, I, you never, ever had anything that ever did up. Well, not like properly. No, they were just, you know, inconsequential, like the, the cardigans that end at the at lower, you know, and you they do up mm-hmm. lower. Yeah, I remember even in my, like when I was working, I would c- come home and the station, it was like a wind tunnel and I would just be clutching with both hands the, the bit in the middle, you know. <laughs> oh, I just don't even, I, <laughs> honestly, like people... I, I, do you have words here? Because I have none. Well, Not I one. learnt, didn't I? When well, I clearly, but someone else had to show you, which yeah, is what no. I find fascinating. Like, really? <laughs> okay. Maybe the long johns are not such a bad idea well, now that I'm having this conversation. All right. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And you'll find all of the show notes over at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.